This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Well, you know, you're listening to Talk Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. Settle in. This is going to be a fun one. Top Rope Nation, episode 166. The SummerSlam draft. The third time we have done this on the program. We've got a great crew together for this, I think, this week. I'm your host, Ryan Drosty of CBSComicBook.com, joined by Kyle Ross and Justin Joint, and a very special fourth man to complete the lineup for our draft crew tonight. And uh, before we get started, let me just check in with all of you justin joint how's your how's your weekend going what's going on in your life right now man i don't know if i should be proud or embarrassed uh the fact that i've had butterflies all morning <laughs> over this podcast i am giddy over here giddy you got a tough spot man you're, you're picking number one uh, a lot of pressure in that position uh you might get some uh, a range of reactions from us based on what you pick we'll see but uh it's a, certainly the hot seat i think uh, Kyle Ross, you will be picking in the what the third spot tonight. How, how's your weekend going? I, I, you've had a pretty interesting uh, last twenty four hours from uh, the group text we've been we've been in here. I'm hungover today. By the time the <laughs> listeners listen to this podcast tomorrow, I will be forty years old. But uh, yeah, I mean this with all sincerity, guys. With a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> this is the best way to celebrate a milestone in your life. <laughs> a little early. Maybe this will just, we just talk, this will be the uh, the unofficial Kyle Ross birthday party, because I know there's no other way you'd rather spend it, especially with the guest we got on the line with us tonight. Now, he has been on the show twice before. I think he's averaging about one appearance per year with us, and that's because it's kind of hard to set this up because he's across the pond from us with the 
you know, the six hour time differential from the central time zone where me and Justin are. And we've normally been recording at night, so it's kind of hard to do this, but we've been recording during the day lately. So this kind of lined up perfectly. So when I thought, who could we bring on for our third Top Rope Nation guest for a draft? He seemed like a logical pick. You might know him from his 2017 Wrestling Observer Newsletter Book of the Year on the late Brian Pillman. Crazy like a fox, Brian Pillman, 20 years later. We've talked about it on the show before, in my opinion, one of the probably top five best wrestling biographies I have ever read. We interviewed Liam about the book back in 2018, uh, just after it first came out. Check that out in the archives. It's, it's a great listen. But joining Top Rope Nation for the third time, Mr. Liam O'Rourke. Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much. It's it's kind of like the feeling when Owen got his second slammy being on here for the third time. But <laughs> I, I, I want to obviously thank you again for having me on, Ryan. Kyle, always a pleasure and happy birthday for tomorrow. But just enjoy it. This is the first time me and you ever shared a podcast. So I was looking forward to this until Tottenham Hotspur knocked Wolves out of Europe. So, um, you know. Oh, rude. Instead of that, I I am trying to avenge my Molyneux faithful by kicking your ass in this draft today. (laughs) Because believe me, believe me, as big a fan as I am of yours, Justin, you need Leslie Nielsen to find a Finn Balor match that's going to get picked today. Oh, the other two times that Liam's been on, it was during the afternoon and Justin was at work. So, yeah, this is the first time you two have been on simultaneously. Yeah. You know, I, this, I was going to let you know in person how much I loved your book, but that's out the window now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what have you been up to lately, Liam? I mean, you had a last year you were doing a lot. You were at Starcast just over a year ago out in Las Vegas. You were on the, uh, the Brian Pillman panel with. Dave Meltzer, Brian Pillman Jr. That was a great watch. I really enjoyed that. What's been going on in your life in recent months? Well, I've been stuck in my house, Ryan. I, <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> we have not really been able to do a whole hell of a lot over here. Um, there's been obviously uh, a, a bit of a virus situation that's kind of taken our nation by storm. I think it might have reached you too. Um, but we basically <laughs> have been in the position where there's not really a whole lot going on for me. Uh, I've kind of I've, I've gotten the hell away from Facebook and Twitter, as unhealthy as that is. Uh, and my own podcast, uh, Squared Circle Gazette Radio, I've been kind of taking a bit of a hiatus from as well. Just kind of taking a little bit of time to uh, kind of breathe uh, fresh air a little bit, kind of work on the house and, uh, you know, just kind of menial tasks that uh, every, every uh, nine to five hammer negatives out there, just like me. Usually when uh, I talk with you over Messenger or text or whatever, uh, we're talking about WWF Hasbro figures. And uh, collecting those, I know that's something we have in common. Have you made any purchases lately? I can't say I have, not in a while. My uh, my wife, bless her, she decided to uh, kind of get a bunch of them for me. It's like a little nostalgic Christmas present a couple of years ago, and she's been working on it like with me ever since. Where she just bought me like a dusty for Christmas last year and stuff like that, which was like one I never had as a kid. But uh, now nah, they're uh, they're they're displayed in the uh, in the office, and now. Nah, but, uh, but the thing is, though, it's like. I understand how much these things are going for. <laughs> like, oh, I, I know. Weren't they like $4 when <laughs> yes, they came out? I, yeah, they were cheap. Yeah, and even, even like five years ago on eBay, they were pretty cheap too. I know. and I mean, it shouldn't really cost that much to get a, a 25-year-old piece of plastic that looks like the Berserker. <laughs> I know. It's like when we first started talking about them, when we both when we both kind of realized we were into collecting them, uh, they've even skyrocketed since then. It's crazy. So, yeah, my purchases have been uh, pretty minimal as well. But uh, I think we'll probably be talking about some matches from that 
Hasbro era here on the broadcast today. Before we get to it, I do want to say, and I think we'll probably have some new listeners listening in from Liam's uh, podcast as well, Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I want to throw a shout out there. Subscribe to them if you haven't already. It's, it's been a couple months since they've had a new show, but when they put out quali- when they put out content, it's always high quality. Really enjoy listening to that one. Uh, so if you're listening to the Top Rope Nation for the first time, make sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, wherever podcasts are found. You can check out TopRopeNation.com for all of our links, for merchandise, for all the social profiles and all of that. And you can also check out Patreon.com slash TopRopeNation where you can get bonus content from us, access to our show notes, early releases, Um In fact, Liam is a proud supporter of Top Rope Nation on Patreon. So thank you, Liam, for your continued support there. And uh, as we talked about on on our last podcast, we will be putting out a new episode of Top Rope Nation Classics very soon, looking back at an edition of WWF Saturday Night's main event. The only way you can hear that show is over on Patreon. So with that said... Here we go. It is the SummerSlam draft. SummerSlam's greatest matches. We're going five rounds, snake style. The draft order is Justin number one, myself number two. We've got Kyle at three, and then Liam rounding it out at number four. And if you are ready, Justin Joint, I think it is time for pick number one. So, I mean, first off, I just got to say, compared to basically every other pay-per-view, SummerSlam's matches just, they go really deep. I mean, uh, the big board looks tremendous. Uh, and I don't see any way that uh, any of us could be unhappy with at least our first two picks. Uh, having said that, I am going to pick a match that has one of uh, WWE's greatest rivalries, one of its greatest stories, and to give it away, arguably the greatest steel cage match in wrestling history. Use uh-huh. on of I'm taking Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, SummerSlam '94. Oh, man, wow, nice. He wants a fight. This is what Owen Hart has waited for his entire life. Give him a damn good fight. All right, so how did you come to the conclusion to do this one, number one? I I figured I was going to get this at number two. To be honest with you. Uh, part of me is always like, take, take the unique things. Um, you know, there's a lot of great singles matches out there. Uh, there's not a lot of great SummerSlam steel cage matches. Uh, you're, like I said, you're getting one of the greatest rivalries ever, uh, a fantastic long-term story that they told. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of my thinking around it. And Kyle, you were just texting us about the, uh, the new series on the network where they explore the Brett Owen rivalry. Uh, anything yeah, new really you learned good. about this match on that, or uh, just want to tell the listeners about that? Because I'm I'm looking forward to checking that out. I actually paused it right before they got to the SummerSlam match. Believe okay. it or not, so I was <laughs> getting ready for the show. I was like, "Ah, eh, I'm just gonna get ready. I, I know what happens." So, but it was really good. The first um, 30 minutes that I watched uh, the storytelling that they did going into the WrestleMania match, wow, was just top notch. It really uh, makes you appreciate what they did there. And I want to make a point with this match that Justin took number one. Do we agree or disagree that this match is better than the WrestleMania match? Because I don't think it is. Meltzer gave the steel cage match five stars and the mania match four and three quarters. I think that's kind of crazy to think yeah, this match is better than the WrestleMania match. Yeah. I, I do not think it's better than the mania match. You Liam? Uh, 
I'll round that out completely. The Mania match is superior in almost every mm. way. <laughs> yeah. So, I got to say, I'm a little heartbroken. Uh, I, I didn't get a mf -er from Kyle, so I guess I didn't <laughs> did take not, what he wanted. You, you did not take my number one pick, but now Shit. I'm very afraid that Ryan is because, <laughs> as he alluded to, had this match been on the board for him, I was pretty confident he was going to take it. Yes. So I have to sweat out another one. <laughs> yeah, I... I did not think that's where you were going, Justin, but I would agree with you. This, to me, is the best steel cage match from the from the Blue Bars era, for sure. I love this match. I watched it as a kid over and over and over again. I remember before I owned the Coliseum video, I would beg my parents to go to Blockbuster to try to rent this, and it was always rented out, like, all the time. I remember there was a period of, like, a month where I was going every single weekend, and I think I think it was the same person that had it rented out because I kept calling, and they're like, yeah, that guy still has it, so he had a lot of late fines. <laughs> but I, I eventually got a hold of it and watched it, and as a huge Bret Hart fan... I love this match so much. And in fact, I have the SummerSlam 94 program on my office wall right in front of me. So I'm quite disappointed because I thought this would be there at number two. But nice, nice pick. I think then for me, number two overall, there's better matches that I could choose as far as like star ratings go. But when I look at historical significance and the people involved and everything, I think I got to go to Wembley and pick Brett Bulldog SummerSlam 92. As Bret Hart will tell you, his crowning night, <laughs> where, where he carried the Bulldog to such a great match. Uh, but man, I mean, the visuals of Wembley, uh, it's an iconic match. You know, Bulldog's greatest match for sure. Bret always puts this on his own personal Mount Rushmore. Puts over the Bulldog, but in doing so, kind of showed his worth and uh, ends up world champion just a couple of months later. So I think when you look at the history of SummerSlam, this one is right up there as one of the top four most iconic matches, I think, in the history of the event. So, Brett Bulldog for me at uh, number two. And I don't think I've ever asked you this, Liam. Were you actually at this show? I wasn't. I was not. In fact, my house was being burgled while the show was going on. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I was on holiday for some for like one week, and uh, when I came back, and I was all, we all, yeah, me and my brother were very much looking forward to seeing what happened. We got kind of collared into the uh, the neighbor's house to, to break the news that we got burgled uh, while the show wow. was going on. But they were nice enough to take the show for us to help us with our grief. Of course, we didn't have a VCR to play it, but that's besides the point, I suppose. Oh, that's an amazing story, though. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, good match, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kyle, quick, was, quick was this one you were going to go with? Quick, did they ever catch the guy, and was it nails? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he was over there, should have been the number one suspect, in my opinion. Well, you know, him or the repo man. Don't, don't count him out. That's right. Him too. That's right. You, that's right. Oh, man. Nails didn't uh, do it. He was paying off his parking ticket, I believe. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Kyle, I didn't get it. There's no f bomb from you, so this isn't what you were hoping to get. Evidently. No, I'm gonna okay. get my number one pick, and I am happier than a pig in shit. So there's your swear word. <laughs> oh, it's gonna uh, piss me off. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Justin, did you consider this one at number one? Uh, not really, no. Okay. All just right. just well, Kyle... one thing, just one thing to really quickly yeah. on that match. 
is it the most famous match in SummerSlam history? Because hmm. I know over here it is, but obviously that's not speaking for you guys. I'm, for, th- this was such a huge deal in this country. You could, there was no way to not know that this show was happening at the time. Like I was not even a massive wrestling fan. I wasn't fully hooked in yet, but I knew this show was happening, and it was a, it was such a big deal over here because obviously with the, with the Bulldog connection. Um, so I'm curious as to whether there's one that's topped it in terms of I, renown. Yeah, I think globally it might be. Um, you know, it's just a unique pay-per-view with them doing it over in England like that and everything. Uh, I can see how people outside the United States, even, you know, that aren't in England would revere this show just to see WWF take one of their biggest shows of the year on the road like that. I don't know. Brett and perfect is probably up there. Uh, I think at least here in the U S because the attitude era was you know so successful and everything. I think a lot of people really remember the Austin taker highway to hell stuff, but man, that's a good question. I, I, I think it probably it either is or it's in the top two or three. I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? You know what's interesting? It goes back to a conversation the three of us were having in a text thread about WrestleMania versus SummerSlam. Now, I'm sure we're going to do a WrestleMania draft at some point in the future, so I'm not going to rip the idea. But what makes this more fun, I think, is SummerSlam doesn't have the canonized matches that WrestleMania does. Like, WrestleMania has all these famous matches, whether you like them or not, or like them as much as the crowd or not, they're still famous. Yeah. SummerSlam doesn't really have that. It's true. Like, 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 I, like, it's funny. I was trying to like think of a counter to Liam's question, and I really can't think of it because if someone were just to ask me what is the most famous match in SummerSlam history, maybe it's Brett Bulldog by default, but I, I don't think it's like an overwhelming answer either. Right. No, it's yeah, it's it's hard to say. I I think it probably is if you look at it from a global perspective, but it's hard to say. And I think that's one of the things that makes this draft so fun, as we could go in so many different directions. Because, like you said, Kyle, there isn't the uh, canonized matches like with WrestleMania, and I think we're already seeing that play out in the first round here because our picks, in some ways, maybe surprised a little bit. And so, I mean, SummerSlam '92 because of the atmosphere, the attendance. Um, you know, where it was, maybe is kind of like the WrestleMania three of SummerSlams. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I it's not like the slam dunk WrestleMania that WrestleMania three is like in terms of historical significance. Yeah. Because it's not like the show did, you know, gangbusters business. I mean, it was well attended, but, you know, I think we talked about it, what, a week or so ago, Ryan, on this podcast, the show bombed on pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Liam, have you ever been to Wembley Stadium? I have, in fact, been to Wembley Stadium to see uh, the Bengals play uh, the Redskins. Okay, so what's what's the venue like? Sorry, you know, is it uh, like? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's a, it's a it... good game, actually. But uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, so Wembley's. Uh, you get off the train station and you pretty much it's one big giant like straightforward walk, and they show it on the. Uh, the start of SummerSlam, where just the hordes of people are just walking underneath the bridge uh, to get to Wembley Stadium. It's a massive facility, and there's loads of open air. You know, I've been to some stadiums for WrestleManias, and they're, you know, they tend to kind of, there's a bit of a feeling that they're kind of on top of each other, some of them. But Wembley's just wide open building. Um, it feels massive when you're in there. It feels like if there was a ring dead center on the football field, then people would actually look tiny, minuscule. Uh, whereas compared to like, you know, if you're in the cheap seats at a WrestleMania or something, then you still kind of don't really feel like you're that far away. But it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a massive place, great atmosphere. 
very, very noisy, which is, is uh, replicated by all those horns that you hear at SummerSlam 92. But um, no, it, it, it was great. And again, this match, it's it's such a... Uh, there were so many people, and again, consider the source, but when you ask people about SummerSlam, this is one of the first matches that comes up always. And actually, I'm kind of glad that this went when it did because there's a lot of people who kind of soured on this match the more that Brett hits that point about how Bulldog was uh, fucked. <laughs> yes. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I've never talked to anyone that's actually been to the stadium, so you know, it's good. Is it is it pretty well updated these days, or does it, the venue show its age? Or no, it's, they've kept on top of it. They're not too, um, you know, it's, it's not too run. There's plenty of rundown shitty facilities in the, in this country, but Wembley's one. They've kind of done a decent job of kind of maintaining, and uh, yeah, like the, like I say, the, the atmosphere is good. It's very easy to move around. No one's kind of elbowing you in the face. It's pretty good. All right, interesting. All right, Kyle, what do you got? Number three. I am going 2013, no disqualification, CM Punk, Brock Lesnar. Wow. Oh. I watched that one this morning. I was going to take that in round two, so you SOB. (laughs) So I want to compare this to the two matches that went ahead of it. I'm not sure Brett Owen and Brett Davey were canonized in the couple years after, the immediate aftermath, the way they are now. Do we do you we think that's fair to say? Like in 1996 or 95, um, were we like, oh, these are like the greatest matches ever? Like you from a universal perspective, maybe from a smart fan perspective, but remember, like that's a small number. Like, I think the reputations of those two matches, I guess this is my point, have grown substantially in 20 years. I don't know. What do you think, Justin? I, I can't really say because I was out of wrestling in that time frame. So I can only kind of speak to them, you know, mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of more of like the four or five year range after they happened. And by that point, I think they definitely were. Um, I'd say if either of them was, it would be probably the Bulldog Brett one. Just the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel hmm. like Brett and Owen was a match that when it happened, it, as good as it was, it felt like it kind of came and went. Yeah, so I bring this up because Punk Lesnar, obviously because of Punk's status with the company, and that he like left six months later, it's not canonized right now. But it is my pick for the best SummerSlam match ever, and I'm really intrigued to see as the years go on, you know, if the appreciation for this match grows, because it absolutely should. I think this match is CM Punk's best performance ever as a true babyface. I would not disagree <laughs> on the rewatch this morning. I actually hadn't watched it since it originally aired and I was into it, man. I was blown away. I even had my four-year-old watching it with me. <laughs> she was getting into it, but yeah, I found myself coming away from this match. I mean, I was a big punk fan at the time, but I haven't been one of those people that's been pining for him to come back. But after watching this, I kind of was, it just, I got a little nostalgic watching it. And it, you know, it, it feels like it was more recently, uh, than it was, you know, you go back seven years at this point. It's crazy. It's been that long, but it is a hell of a match. I can't really disagree with you here. It was obvious to me from the first day that I met CM Punk, this was the guy. It was obvious this was the guy. The chance I got to work with Paul Heyman was amazing. He saw me for, for exactly what I am. He was willing to fight to the death for what he believes in. 
And that's what it takes to be a WWE champ. because of his acceptance of me as a friend. CM Punk is in prime position to win this matchup. Do you see anyone else around? Is there anybody that can stop him? The top of the ladder! So I don't think I took Liam's match either. This is very interesting. We're all worried that the guy in front of us is going to take the match we want. I don't think I took Liam's match because there was no swearing. Of course, he is a gentleman first being from the other side of the pond. So maybe he just watched his language. But I gather that I didn't take your pick, Liam. No, this was one that was lined up for the second round. As much as, and that match is, it's a fantastic pick. Um, As good as... Punk is as a pure babyface. Brock Lesnar is unbelievable in that match in terms of selling little bits, little bits, little bits. And by the end, I mean, just think about the fact that Brock Lesnar convinced the people that CM Punk was going to beat him with an armbar. Like, that's yes. unbelievable. He did such, he was so good in, at selling in that match. The little subtleties about, you know, when those knees connect early on and it rocks him and he kind of sells the way it is and he shakes it off. But the more, and he's just, it's one after another after another where it looks like Punk's going to climb the mountain and Brock just survives. And then when Brock just hits that one F5 and wipes him out, I, Brock is, or, Punk's great. Brock's awesome in that match, I think. The yeah. only match I can compare this to is the match Brock has with Cena when he comes back at Extreme Rules 2012. But why I like this one better is Punk is, to I think, to the audience, you know, just because he had more of a universal adulation. He's more sympathetic than Cena was mm-hmm. in the Extreme Rules match. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and Brock, if you, if you look at the <laughs> second run with the company he's had, I mean, all of his best matches for the most, not all, but the majority of his best matches are against like the more undersized guys. And yeah, yeah this kind of holds true to that too. Yeah. It's a great watch and it's, 
you know, as as Brock's second run went on for years and years, he he began to have that feeling of like he was always winning, he was never going to lose. But here, like it kind of feels in doubt. Like you know, Punk might do it, and there's a lot of great false finishes, like you mentioned with with him selling the armbar and everything. Yeah, it's uh, I love that point in the match where Punk has the triangle on, and Brock just lifts him up dead weight. I think twice. That's a really cool spot in the match because you think maybe he's got him, and he just unbelievable strength out of Brock Lesnar, obviously lifting him up, slamming him down. I think he does it two times before he gets broken up. Yeah. If you haven't seen this one since 2013, watch it again. It's, it's really, really spectacular stuff. So that's a nice pick. I think. What do you got, Liam? Well, the reason why I didn't cuss was because there was a match that I actually thought Kyle had a very good chance of taking that he did not take. Um, so I will, my first round pick, uh, it's going to be Shawn Michaels and Triple H from SummerSlam 2002. Um, it was it was a match that I went in. I, I I'm a huge Shawn Michaels fan, and I was very much of the belief that Shawn was never going to wrestle again. And when the build was happening for this match, because they kind of announced it as unsanctioned, I didn't really have any kind of expectations for what it was going to be. It kind of was like it's unsanctioned. They're kind of being a bit wishy washy about what it is, and I was kind of fearing it was me like the uh, the Taker DDP debacle from King of the Ring, where it's just like some kind of bullshit, you know, schmoz thingy, where you know it's just what's what's this going to end up being? And then they have the match, and not only do they have the match, but everything that you think about the condition of Sean's back for the previous four years. It, they, they hit on it, they work on it, they they suck you in, They you know, the, the backbreaker on the chair is just jaw-dropping. Sean's performance in this match is unbelievable. Triple H is great. Um, but it was just like your... It was just... Watching this match, it was just jaw-dropping. When Sean, it's like Sean Michaels looks like he's just rolled out of bed after wrestling the day before. Yes. He does not look like he's been off for four <laughs> years. And it was the final confirmation for me that his, uh, his four-year absence was far less to do with uh, back issues and far more to do with uh, personal problems, as they say. Um, but it was just, it was so well done. The crowd is so red hot. And uh, and Sean wins in the end. It's a great little story. So I, for a long time, I've, I've been convinced this is the best match in SummerSlam history. Um, I don't know if I still think that, but I'm glad that it's here. Uh, so that I can take it for round one. Shawn Michaels and Triple H are our best of friends. They're closer than a lot of brothers. Triple H, my friend, is that a lie or is that the truth? That is the ever-loving truth. But let me ask you a question. Who is the show stopper? Me. and Triple H, they're, they're closer than a lot of brothers. Tonight, the game brings you his best friend, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels and Triple H are our best of friends. That friendship is really what swayed Triple H. That's what brought him here to Raw. Let's get ready to suck it. Shawn Michaels and I were never best friends. I used Shawn Michaels to get to the top, just like Shawn Michaels used me to stay at the top. Now I am the showstopper. Now I am the icon. What the hell do you want? Stage manager Nick Dawes telling, telling the game something. Where's he going? What the hell happened? 
This that that match is the closest match that came to being picked number one for me. I I absolutely adore that match. Um, it's probably the, like the most nervous I've ever been watching a match considering like we didn't know the extent of his back, as you mentioned. And it just, I don't know if I've ever, you know, in a good way ever made the cringe face, uh, you know, as much as I did watching that match. Yeah. I, I thought the build to it was spectacular with the security footage and when they unpixelized it and it, you know, it was triple H that attacked Sean and all that. That was so good. I remember being a little worried heading into the match. I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was the raw the week before SummerSlam and Sean got a little physical and he went for like a dive to the outside and he kind of like caught his foot on the ropes and it looked really ugly. And I remember going into the match thinking like, oh, maybe he doesn't have it anymore because that didn't come off great on Raw. But yeah, once the bell rang there at SummerSlam, holy cow, Like it was to me, it was the match of the year in 2002. And that was shocking considering how long he had been off. And uh, it definitely lived up to my expectations and more so. I think going into the match, there's all this stuff about his back and how like he couldn't take because of his spine. They were saying he couldn't take compression on his spine or something, but he could take blows to the back or something. But once the bell rang, it didn't seem like (laughs) any of that was adhered to. And it was like the same old Shawn Michaels. Look, uh, yeah, of all the matches these two lovebirds had during this period, the first one's definitely (laughs) the best. Yes. Uh, (laughs) And Liam is totally right in the sense that it was worked exactly how it should have been. It was a guy who's been out for four years with a back injury, and Triple H targets the back the whole match. And it builds to Michael's kipping up, which is an incredible moment. And the cr- that the crowd just eats up. Because he lays there, and for a split second, like, he's not going to kip up. And he does, and like JR has that tremendous explosion where he's like, he kipped up, he kipped up. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's it's really good. I would have taken this with my number one overall pick, uh, perhaps had Punk Lesnar been off the board. It's very it's number three overall on my board. Okay, nice. With an argument for number two. Yeah. All right, round one in the books. Before we go on with this, let's go to a word from our sponsors, and that is NFL Sunday Ticket and a brand new one this week, Thera One. 
from tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and their sleep product to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, that is Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. Heck of a deal, guys. But you got to go to theragun.com slash blue wire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. That's buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash blue wire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now, theragun.com slash blue wire, or you can find the link in the podcast description. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone Channel and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever, you can use, wait for it, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. That's right. No more calling DirecTV and trying to haggle with them over getting a discount on Sunday ticket. You can get 15% off. Just go to NFLSundayTicket.tv. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. You'll get 15% off your subscription for this season. Check it out. What do you, so Liam, you got back-to-back picks, so you can lead us off with round two. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, this, is, this is where I've been kind of agonizing quietly for the last 10 minutes, trying to figure out which one I'm going to take. Um, yeah, there sure are a lot of great Bret Hart matches, aren't there, at SummerSlam? Um, there, there's one that's just calling out to me, but I'm actually, this might be a little bit of a reach, but I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for Tables, Ladders, and Chairs in 2000. Okay, very nice. It, yeah, I, I, was- it's... it's is that, is that the one you're going to go for? Uh, that was the match that also had an argument for number two. So, yeah, you took my yeah. number two and three matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that match is... I mean, it's a car crash. I mean, they're two completely different matches. The Sean Triple H match is very... As, as, you know, for what it is, it's a very simple... It's the traditional wrestling structure. Sean has this super long shine. Triple H has a really long, really serious heat. Sean has this mega long comeback. And then it's not like a, a big near-falls match. It just... 
the, the, the baby face wins in the end. This is the opposite. This is just a car crash. And the heat's incredible. It's in North Carolina. I always kind of had that little thing where I really feel like the Hardys should have won. So yes. that's always kind of been a little bit of a thing that kind of niggles at me. Like if, if, if Jeff Hardy takes the belt, is hanging up there after he's knocked Devon down and Jeff unhooks the belts, I think that that match gets remembered a lot. I mean, people love it anyway, but I think that it would be a lot higher on people's minds when it comes to the greatest SummerSlam match of all time. This is one of the best matches of the decade, and I, I, it's just it's non-stop, it's fantastic action, but there is a structure, there is a, a rhyme and reason, and things do build, and things do escalate, and you, it's, you know, again, watching it at the time for the first time, your mind is blown with just how fast things are escalating. It's like a slightly safer version of Hell in a Cell, um, in 98 where you just cannot believe like well there's a guy who's taken a massive bump through four tables and then Matt's gone backwards which is terrifying through two tables and then Jeff's hanging from the bus it builds and builds it's yeah, when when the ladders fall from under Jeff and Devon you can see the collective hearts stopping in the arena everybody gasped it's a reaction that you rarely hear in wrestling um, and you know three teams who were probably at their peak as a team at the same time um, so I can't say enough good things about it. I think it's the best of the three pay-per-view matches these three teams did. Yeah, I don't know agreed. Uh, where you guys would sit with. And it's also the first match I ever watched live where I didn't want it to end. That was a unique feeling. I specifically remember watching this match. I was like, man, I just want these guys to keep going and going. And it was almost like, well, I agree with you, Liam, that the Hardys probably should have won. Who won almost became secondary to what was happening in the ring. You know, that's kind of, it's almost, that's almost become an issue in today's wrestling, in 2020. But this was the first time ever that watching a match live, I was like, man, does it even matter who wins? Like, this is just so crazy. I just want them to keep going and going. Mm. Look, Liam shat on my Tottenham Hotspurs already. <laughs> so I'm 100% doing this out of, bitterness and trying to jinx him but i think he's got this thing wrapped up already he he took my my second and third ranked SummerSlam matches and just yeah knocking it out of the park dick <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought this one might go in round one to be honest i think if this was on the board for any of us in round two i think we would have had to take it almost by default had liam passed on it because it's i mean this is up there as one of the most iconic you brought this up earlier liam the most iconic SummerSlam matches and this is probably in the top five for sure. You know, the first TLC match. So can't fault you there. It's it's an awesome match. Yeah, like you said, a car crash, but uh, very, very memorable stuff. So, yeah, looking at what we've all picked so far, he's doing pretty good. I think our person in the guest chair tonight, he's got he's got a leg up on us maybe so far. But we'll see how the rest of round two shakes out. Kyle, what do you got for us? Whew, this is tough. I did not think both of these matches would be available to me when I picked the second time. They're my fourth and fifth on my board. If I pick one, it, it's going to create kind of an interesting big picture scenario. But it's fourth, and maybe I should stay true to my board. I'm going to go with it. John Cena, Daniel Bryan from the same show, CM Punk, oh, Brock Lesnar, oh. 2013. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll, I'll drop it. I mean, yeah. that was going to be my pick. Dang it. So, nice pick. I think what WrestleMania 13 meant to the career of Steve Austin is what SummerSlam 2013 means to the career of Daniel Bryan. Obviously, Bryan did not go on to draw the kind of money uh, that Austin did. 
but this was a real launching pad for him. I know it got dicey. <laughs> he was never supposed to wind up winning in the end, but he did. And uh, this is just a tremendous match, pinning John Cena clean as a sheet in the main event. Mm-hmm. Um, just really, really good stuff. Uh, the build for this match was borderline non-existent. That's the one nitpick I, ha- I have of it. Like Cena just picks him to challenge him. Yeah. That's not a great way to build a match, I don't think. Yeah. But uh, they, they hit it out of the park. And this was kind of the start of Super Cena. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, when I rewatched the Punk-Lesnar match earlier today, you know, I had remembered Brian and Cena being awesome, and it is. And I, like, I just <laughs> emphasized I was going to pick that one next. Those two together, I think we all probably are of the uh, the impression that SummerSlam 02 is the greatest SummerSlam top to bottom of all time. And I would still say it is. But man, 2013 is right on the heels with those two. I mean, these these are two matches that are like very close to five star matches on the same show. And uh, yeah, I mean, this this begins Brian's uh, kind of ascension to WrestleMania, as you were hinting at there. And uh you know, the whole authority storyline that they did, as we know, you know, the, the fans kind of made that happen at WrestleMania. But when when you get to WrestleMania and you go back to uh, you, what happened here with with the Orton cash in right afterwards and everything. I mean, this is kind of like every everything kind of starts here with that ascension to WrestleMania, I think. So I think it's a really, really important match in just the career arc of Daniel Bryan, too. I just hope Kyle keeps picking matches from 2013 SummerSlam. Alberto Del Rio Christian's still out there, baby. That's a, that's a good little match. There it is. So. Bad, yeah. Love Christian. Oh, yes. he's phenomenal. Yes. Uh, and by the way, obviously Super Cena um, had existed for some time before that, I should say. This is when he started working the Super Indie style, uh, which served him quite well for the next three so years. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there's a... another there's another match that's, you know, I assume that's going to go pretty soon. That's not far off from it. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask on that match cuz Brian and Cena is one that I, you know, emotional connection to the match is a big deal and for whatever reason, I remember being slightly detached from it at the time as good as it is because there was this lingering feeling that the Orton thing was coming and mm. as good as it is, it almost has that feeling of like they were working so hard to get that emotional investment only to just yank it from you. And I know that that was, you know, that's by design, that's wrestling, that's not a problem, but it just, I don't know if the timing was right to do it. I know the buy rates were pretty rotten for the next couple of months yes. as a result, but um, so I, I don't know. That, that's one of those ones where it's like, I absolutely agree completely. I almost wish that this was the Mania 30 moment, really, in terms of just go with him because he had it. Hmm. It's interesting, too, because I talked about the bad build that this match had, or kind of like yeah. nondescript, where John Cena's like, they had him pick his SummerSlam opponent. He's like, I choose Daniel Bryan. And it's like, okay, that's the main event, I guess. And <laughs> you compare that to the month previous where they did that phenomenal deal with Cena and Mark Henry. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and it's like, you you know, you'll be in, in most circles on the internet, you'll be run out of town for trying to claim John Cena, Mark Henry is better at, you know, at anything than Cena Bryan. But the fact is the build for Cena, Mark Henry was just vastly superior. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. builds a big deal. I mean, you, you know, Ryan made the great point about uh, you know, SummerSlam 2002 versus SummerSlam 2013. One of the things that SummerSlam 02 has over the show is the fact that Rock Brock on top was built so well. Yes. And when people look back at SummerSlam 2013, I'd, I'd be very surprised if they can remember a single thing about Brian and Cena apart from the match itself. Which is fine, but that's, then, that's one of those yeah. things that I think kind of maybe quells people realizing just how good this match was from bell to bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with me being up next, you've kind of put me in a difficult spot, Liam and Kyle, because I don't want to appear to be too much of a mark here for one particular wrestler, but this match is just hanging there. And I feel like when we put this up to a vote on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, when people look at our collective matches, if I have Bulldog, Brett, and this next one, it's going to play pretty well with the Uh, audience. Justin's going to be upset. (laughs) and look i've been very vocal on the podcast before that i actually prefer the king of the ring match that the two had but i gotta go brett perfect it's still there i'm shocked it's still there to be honest with you so i have to go brett mr perfect to SummerSlam 91 i mean it's it starts brett hart's uh singles run with championships winning the intercontinental title in madison square garden with one of his all-time best opponents in kurt hennig uh he got the awesome celebration with Stu and helen there afterwards uh it's yeah this is one of the probably top five most iconic matches in SummerSlam history as well i think uh we put out a uh, on our twitter page the other day a gif of uh brett and mr perfect and that got a lot of reaction so i think the voters are really gonna like that i have this on my draft board so i'm gonna take it brett hart mr perfect SummerSlam 91 I mean, play into the fans. <laughs> Hogan brought me into wrestling, uh, but I seriously think this match is what made me fall in love with wrestling. I mean, you absolutely it, it would have picked this if it was still there, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I, I did have. I was kind of looking ahead, and I was having the same kind of conundrum as you. It was like, how does this play on the pole? Uh, what, does it hurt or help to have two Brett matches on there? Right. I mean, I did have two Undertaker Sean matches in that draft, and that won me the draft or won me the poll. So uh, I'll do it. Yeah, why not? I just like voting for myself. <laughs> Kyle's just <laughs> making fake Twitter accounts and voting and voting. He's been a lot more active on Twitter lately, I've so I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, yeah, don't be surprised. Tomorrow, you know, maybe I get some downtime. Just create a bunch of burner accounts. Start there's voting like, for myself. There's like all these replies to the poll. It's like at Kyle R15 at Kyle R17. Like, flawless <laughs> picking. He got my top five matches. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Liam, what do you think about the point I raised this one versus the King of the Ring match? Because I've said this on the pod before a lot that I like the King of the Ring match better, but this is an awesome match. I have to take it. What, what do you make of the two? I love, I love to listen to your uh, King of the Ring 93 uh, review show when you talked about that match because I kind of have always felt the same way. I love the King of the Ring 93 match, and I think it might be better, which is interesting because obviously one's face-face, but so, you know, perfect place to settle heel anyway. This one here, this one here feels like it's got more kind of built-in relevance. You know, it meant something that Brett beat perfect and won the IC belt. So, you know, th- th- and that kind of goes quite away for me. You know, that the Brett perfect match at King of the Ring 93, again, bell to bell, I think is better. And, uh, but having said that, I'm not necessarily sure that once it was over with, it really made a difference to either career, but this did. You know, SummerSlam 91, it had Brett lost and just been moved, you know, shuffled on. 
that would not have been good for him. And uh, th- this was the right time. It was done very, very well. And I can only uh, apologize for the performance of my countryman, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, on the microphone to the uh, Hart family. <laughs> because <laughs> Stu did not have enough time to fart before he pulled that mic away. He just cuts him off. Yeah. <laughs> Stu yeah. is like behind him and he's like trying to talk trying over to his talk. shoulder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Stu. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I think I made this point when we did the SummerSlam 91 show for Top Rope Nation Classic, but I'll make it again here. It's a real testament to the emotional investment people have in Bret Hart that this match got as over as it did at the time because there was no real personal story here. In terms of the build, like Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect were not feuding in the classic sense. They just announced Bret Hart would be challenging Mr. Perfect at this show. Mm -hmm. And they hit a home run. And it's kind of rare, especially that era of WWE, for a match like that to work so well. Yeah, and they don't even really get into, like, one of the things I like so much in the 93 match is how they get into their fathers and that backstage promo is so good. And I don't (laughs) recall anything with uh you know that their fathers had wrestled each other or anything in the build of this just kind of happened so yeah you're you're right and like there wasn't really much story but it's it's an iconic match uh perfect whose back is just hurting him like crazy just goes out of the way to put over brett make him look great and uh yeah really good match and and that you know i think three of us at least i don't know if justin feels the same think the king of the ring match is better and you know the back issue probably plays a hand in that yeah because that match seems just like it's in another gear like it's a little bit quicker it's feels it feels a little more quick a little more crisp i don't don't know i just feel like it's up up a gear for sure but uh yeah all right i I can't believe i got that at the seventh overall pick but there we go justin what do you got well i'm gonna take a match that has already kind of been alluded to um in the eyes of casual uh, WWE fans, I think this match certainly uh, made a star out of somebody. Uh, and that is going to be Styles going over John Cena, SummerSlam 2016. Mm, nice. Just a, a really, really good match. Uh, both guys look terrific. Uh, I guess the only downer, or two downers, is that for me, at least, the story was kind of meh. And they outdid the match the following Royal Rumble. That's a good point. Yeah. We love taking matches on this draft and then telling you how another one was there. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't fault you. I, I would have been thinking about that one in the next round. It was pretty high on my big board. Uh, so unless anybody wants to add to it, I will go with my next one. I, I will say the one cool thing about this. Well, there's many cool things, I should say. But the coolest thing about Styles and Cena is that Styles won. It broke the trend that had existed for years that when John Cena lost and there was a rematch, he would get the win back. That didn't happen here. Mm-hmm. And it really went a long way, as Justin alluded to, uh, in making AJ Styles with the WWE audience. Yeah. Yeah, that was his first year, wasn't it? 2016. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it his first year. they just done the draft and Styles... In much the same way that I kind of thought that like Angle was kind of the pillar of 2002 SmackDown when he moved over there in the draft, Styles was the guy that they kind of they really banked on him uh, as a heel in 2016, and he needed the cred, and Cena gave it to him. And I think Cena, I feel like Cena went away for a little while after this match anyway. Um, but AJ, yeah, this this is as good a match as Styles has had in this company. I love this match. 
Mm-hmm. All right, Justin, start out round three. What do you got? Well, I'm taking a ladder match. Uh, and then for the past few minutes, I've been going back and forth as to which ladder match I was going to take. Uh, and I, I'm going to go with, I think, what would a lot of people would consider the lesser as far as in-the-ring action goes. No! <laughs> but I just think... So I'm going Triple H, The Rock, SummerSlam, Fuck. 98. I just, you know, HPK and Razor had already had a ladder match that was probably superior. Uh, and they were kind of already really made superstars where I, I think... I just remember this match being a really, really big deal uh, to both The Rock and Triple H in 1998. It just felt like it really got them over with everybody. Yes, I I 100% agree. This is my favorite match of that show. I I came away with that show with the exact same feeling. I remember watching this at uh, one of my friend's houses on pay-per-view and afterwards the group of us that watched it live, this was the one we were all talking about and how these were the, the two guys on the come up and they were the, the, the future of the company. And I, I kind of feel like we were already saying that about Rock, but not so much about Triple H before this match. I feel like this for sure legitimized Triple H to a lot of people uh, as a possible main eventer someday. Yeah. And Although uh, we yeah. got hurt and it really wasn't for another year right. that it really clicked into full gear when, he, ironically, he was a heel and got Stephanie. Yeah. Yeah. But this was like, I, I agree with you, Justin, entirely. Like this was such a turning point match. I, I felt like for both guys, but for sure for Triple H too. It's uh, yeah, I, I watched this one yesterday. Actually, this was uh, this was pretty high on my board as well. So I like the pick. I had it at number so, nine. It was taken number nine. I'm so fucking angry right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I took the Punk Lesnar match first, I said that was CM Punk's best performances uh true baby face this is without question triple h's best performance as a true baby face mm-hmm. yeah agreed I, the, the it, crowd heat in this match is phenomenal when, when triple h pulls that belt down it is deafening in that place yeah yeah i think david bixen's band called it one of the biggest pops he'd ever heard in msg yeah and and I, I i i believe it i mean the thing with this is like i know that we're talking about triple h a lot but i my memory of this is very different i remember this match being the match where I, you know, the Rock was awesome, had been awesome all year long, and it was almost like he was very, kind of prominently becoming the forbidden fruit that you wanted to cheer for. And there was a point in that match, and he'd done the thing on Raw like the week before, where he's really, <laughs> he's really giving it to China with some lines that would not farewell today, <laughs> but were just absolutely fantastic uh, in terms of getting heat on the Rock. And there was a point in the match where you know, the chatting Rocky sucks is getting heat. It's great. There's a point in the match when he slams Triple H on the ladder and he slowly rises and everybody in MSG figures out that he's actually going to do the people's elbow on a ladder and the the crowd are won over and they chant, you know, the Rocky Sucks chant stop, the Rocky chant start. I remember leaving this show thinking that The Rock was going to be the next big star, which is funny because he didn't even win. Yeah. <laughs> I agree that Rock Rock felt like the uh, the bigger star going in. I I do recall that too, like everyone dying to cheer for him. Uh, I wanted to say something about the entrances. <laughs> this is something maybe Justin will appreciate. Uh, the Rock's Nation of Domination theme song, underrated. Nobody talks about that version of his theme. And Triple H, he had the uh, the DX live band there, similar to Michael's at WrestleMania earlier that year. This performance so very bad. Uh, the WrestleMania performance of the DX song was much better than this time in MSG. I thought on, on the watchback, at least I, I came away with that opinion. 
Have you ever seen, I'm sure you have, the DX Band rendition of America the Beautiful? Oh, I don't remember that. When was that? Oh, oh, Jesus was it Christ. WrestleMania? It's 14? WrestleMania 14. 14, they kick the show off and they get booed out the building vociferously. Oh, that's one right. The, okay, yeah. One of the greatest atrocities to patriotism <laughs> since Volkov took the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> I forgot that they were on that other than for Michael's entrance, but yeah, that's right. Didn't Meltzer report that like Terry Funk was mad or something about that? <laughs> chainsaw I, I Charlie was going around that, backstage that, like, with the chainsaw. Yeah, that there were like, that it was Terry Funk and there was another veteran were said to be very upset with Chris Warren's rendition of America the Beautiful. Oh. Maybe I'm making it up, but I don't think I am. It's also very bizarre at the end how then Triple H like starts to like he throws the drum set around. It's like they're just destroying the band. I wanted to destroy the band's uh, instruments as well after that rendition of the song. But uh. <laughs> what a what a, the thing is with Triple H, and this probably goes to Kyle's point about you know this probably being his best babyface performance. Triple H is such a tryhard, you know, like as a babyface during this time, mm-hmm. he's like he's trying to be so, the whole DX run. It's like he really feels like man, the coolness of the group is packing Road Dog. Like Triple H is yeah. like third banana behind those guys, and like he, you know, this was the first time when it felt like he's doing the tryhard stuff, but it's working. Is there another instance we can think of of the internet being so spot on than saying, "Yep, these guys are going to be big stars after this match," and it absolutely happened. I mean, to Liam's point, like with Rock, it immediately happened. They shot him right into the main event, and Triple H gets hurt, so it takes him a little bit longer, but. Man, you know, it's not often that the internet is that correct Mm -hmm. as it was in its immediate assessment of this match. Yeah, it was very obvious. It was very, very obvious that these these were the guys coming out of this match. And yeah, it's it's critical in both guys careers. I'm going to need five more minutes of you guys putting this match over for me. (laughs) (laughs) He's got his arms folded. He's just smiling, listening. (laughs) It's like job well done. Just enjoy it. Uh, so angry. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, when I when I did my big board, I didn't imagine I was going to take so many matches from the early to mid nineties. But the oh, way damn it. The way that this has fallen, and actually the way that Justin built that pick up, I thought he was gonna take this one. Damn it. But I gotta go HBK Razor at SummerSlam ninety five. Oh. <laughs> I have to do it. Uh I was nervous you were gonna do it, Justin. I, I actually I think uh, Triple H Rock is is his, his historically, uh, for sure, more important. Uh, this match is interesting because throughout the match, I feel like they were exceeding what they did at WrestleMania 10. Yes, but then like the finish gets a little botched and it takes it down a little bit. But like you know, they go above and beyond. Like Sean does the moonsault off the ladder. When Sean does the splash off the ladder, he's actually on the very top of the ladder versus you know a couple rungs from the top at Mania. Uh, this is just imagine putting this match on second to last, by the way, we were talking about this in our, in our text <laughs> earlier today. And then the, what followed this was Kevin Nash and Mabel. Uh, this is the match of a very weak SummerSlam. But when you talk about high expectations going in a year and a half after WrestleMania 10, I thought that they met those expectations. They could have exceeded it. If the finish did get messed up, Sean has some tantrums in this match. At the very beginning of the match, when the belt gets hung wrong, he gets a little mad. And then uh, <laughs> the ending where he can't quite get the belt off. 
Uh, but in between those two moments, it is an awesome, awesome match. And I think, you know, subtracting the finish, I like it better than the WrestleMania 10 match. So there you go. Two, thi- two things I think hurt it vis-a-vis the WrestleMania match. One, it's not WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And then it's second. as You know, it's the second in a two-part series. And also, let's not forget, this match almost didn't happen. Yeah. It was originally not set for the card. It was supposed to be Sean and Sid. And then we had interim president Gorilla Monsoon doing his fan-friendly gimmick, ripping up the card and saying, you know what? I think we're going to do a ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor <laughs> Ramon, which was actually him playing the role of Vince McMahon saying, oh, my God, this card is horrible and is going to die a miserable death. We need to get something good on here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's, it's a great juxtaposition to Justin's pick where Rock and Triple H was the blow off of a, a summer long, fantastic DX Nation feud uh, in, in 98, whereas Shawn and Razor had Razor was doing nothing during this period of time. I mean, he'd like... Yeah, they've been getting beaten up by Mabel to try and heat him up, which is real Rambo mission if ever I've heard one. But Sean and Razor in 95, it's it's a fantastic... There are so many things in this match that are so great. Sean getting his leg caught in the ladder before it falls down. The the suplex to the floor he gets through. He hits his foot on the guardrail. Oh, that's so brutal. Oh, yeah. That's, he, it's just so good. And uh, the action's fantastic. But yeah, I, I, I see why the order went the way it did with those two. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I feel pretty confident about my pick so far, Kyle. Go ahead. What do you got? Um, this isn't the spot I wanted to be in. I was really hoping that Triple H Rock match uh, was going to fall to me at this pick. I didn't think for a second that Sean and Razor uh, would fall. I actually thought about taking that with my second pick uh, overall. So just to show the kind of value, I think, yes. that you got with that one, Mr. Drosty. Better value uh, than a Ryan Pace of the Chicago Bears finds in well, the draft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had to throw that out after our discussion on our last podcast. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to go Steve Austin, Kurt Angle from 2001. Nice. So <laughs> we need to really have some appreciation for the athletes here because this match really had no right to be good. You have Kurt Angle as the baby face, Steve Austin as the heel. That sounds bad. Uh, it takes place as part of the hideous invasion storyline. And it goes to a non-finish. <laughs> but despite <laughs> all of that, by God, they made this work. Did they ever? Yes, they did. I think four and a half stars in the Observer. Yeah, if this had had a, a more concrete finish, this would have been picked a lot higher than where it is now. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Austin is just an animal in this match. This is the Austin heel run does not produce a lot of great moments, really. I mean, he's a fantastic performer but in terms of like you know, the moments that they they're going to replay for years and years to come not many because it didn't do well for business but austin as a performer as a worker in this match angle's tremendous but austin is just through oh he's out of this world as a heel yeah this was probably kurt's best match up until this point right yeah and maybe not yeah. even probably maybe definitely mm-hmm. or definitely maybe as they say over in the uk <laughs> <laughs> um Stay for something not on the network is Paul Heyman's response to Jim Ross's post-match rant. So this is the match where afterwards Jim Ross goes on this hilarious rant getting in Paul Heyman's face when he's like, Kurt Angle, or he's like, Stone Cold can't beat Kurt Angle. Stone Cold can't beat Kurt Angle. And Heyman's just sitting there taking it and taking it like with this silly expression on his face. And he turns to the camera and goes... This Saturday, the WWE will be premiering a new show called Velocity. <laughs> it airs Saturday night on the USA Network. And 
<laughs> that always made me laugh. That is not on the network, which sucks because I, I loved it. Hmm. I wonder if it's easily accessible on YouTube or Daily Motion. Because if so, I can insert a clip. And if it is, yeah. I'll insert it right now. <laughs> okay. I wonder if, it, you know, I may have blown it. It may not be fly. It may have been, uh, what was that show? Access or Access. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that may have been the one it was. So, well, if you do get the clip, then, you know, you'll prove me wrong. But still, it's a great joke. It's it's one of the best JR rants of that time where he's like, he can't beat Kurt Angle. <laughs> he's getting so animated. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And Heyman's he's just like, getting no, like Heyman's face, like wagging his hand, like he can't beat Kurt Angle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Heyman's just sitting there like, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like the pick, though. That's a nice pick. What do you got, Liam? Uh, well, um, oh, so... Kyle dropped the, an Oasis reference with definitely maybe, so I'm going to go uh, a similar one and talk about a match that gave me morning glory when I uh, when I watched it this morning. Um, <laughs> it's That's kind of a it's kind of a bit of a two parter, but I love this story and I love this match. This is going to be my Bret Hart contribution to uh, to the draft, and I'm going for the Bret Hart versus Doink Jerry Lawler uh, scenario at SummerSlam '93. Because oh, I uh, love where your head's at. This may be a little bit of a reach to some people but I think this is one this might be the finest piece of business the WWF actually did all year in terms of making somebody I think this is so good Brett, you know, Brett has been just getting railed on by Lawler, the family's there he's been you know, he ripped on Stu Hart on, on Raw, he chickens out of the match with just a, a fantastic promo beforehand You know, claiming that a little blue haired old lady pulled out in front of him and caught a 10 10 car pile up. Uh, Bobby Heenan adds to it, talking about the burning, you know, <laughs> saving the orphans from a burning bus. Doink the Clown comes out, who I have a, a, a real soft spot for, Matt Bourne. They have a good little match, uh, but Lawler cracking Brett with the crutch. Just the, the, just the, just the shithousery from Jerry Lawler in this match is so good, only for the big wide eyes when he, when he gets threatened with being banned for life if he doesn't go in and fight Bret Hart as advertised. Brett just clobbers him. Lawler gets the heat, and he's just so great, and it's just so different. You know, this is not something that we see. This wasn't something that I felt like I was seeing a lot during this period of time where Jerry Lawler was just being, for lack of a more obvious term, a Memphis heel. He was engaging the crowd. He was just, yeah, every shortcut in the book that just, you know, the, 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 the deal out of the tights, the, you know, the, the, the crutch choking with the crutch, begging off. He's just, it's fantastic. Brett wins, sharpshooter holds it on. Jerry Lawler quits, uh, but then the decision gets reversed, and Jerry Lawler gets wheeled out after being just pummeled by the Hart family, and just raises the one finger in the air as the, as the stretcher rides off into the sunset. It is phenomenal, and it's like Brett lost, but he's more over. Lawler lost, but wins, and therefore is more over. You want to see him get pounded again? This was a masterpiece. This I don't think this gets praised enough. We had a Kyle. We had a conversation about this match not yes, too long ago. Yes, we did, didn't we? <laughs> On the podcast, so I have to call it out because it's one of the times where Kyle really got it right and I really got it wrong. Because I can't remember why this came up, but I was we were talking about King of the Ring '93 in the closing angle. Okay, yeah, and I was like negative on the match. I hadn't seen this match in at least twenty years, probably longer. And I didn't have great memories of it. I was like, yeah, really? That match? And you're like, yes, it's great. You need to rewatch it. And I actually rewatched it that night when I was mixing the podcast. And I was immediately like, man, Kyle is right. Why did I doubt him? This is great stuff. <laughs> Liam talked about the Memphis 
stuff that Lawler was doing here and how unique it was to WWF uh, at the time. Well, 1993, that's kind of like an underlying story because I know Bruce mm-hmm. Pritchard will try to downplay it, but Jerry Jarrett had a huge hand in creative that year. And so there was a lot of kind of Memphis-style angles seeping their way into the promotion that year, and I enjoyed it. I know that business was down, but I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff they did uh, in 93, WrestleMania 9 excluded, obviously. And then you mentioned the post-match, which is great, but of course you have that glory hound Bruce Hart getting his shots and making sure he that's front center on camera. I mean, come on, man. Th- th- isn't the deal that like he didn't know that Doink was going to douche him with water <laughs> like ahead of time? It's like a rib on okay. Bruce. Okay, if, if that's accurate, and they oh, didn't man. tell him, if they didn't tell him and did it, that, that this match should have been picked number one overall. Because <laughs> that would be so did, awesome sh- if they just chucked water on Bruce I'm, Hart and didn't tell him. <laughs> I'm, I'm certain I'm certain that's true and if you watch the tape back you see how agitated he is and he takes a swing at like Danny Davis he's so mad that he got hit with war in the face it's tremendous yeah <laughs> I almost yeah. expected him to put the leather jacket and the sunglasses back on and do a bad company comeback but it didn't happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah oh well, that's a good pick I like it it's, yeah round end of round three nice value what do you got for round four all right, uh, round four. I'm going a little bit further back in time. There's two matches that I really want to take, but one. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> you guys are really upset. You guys are really upsetting me, but the it's okay because it'll set me off for a perfect diatribe for my next pick. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, there's two matches that I'm looking at, and I think I am gonna go with. The Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude oh, from SummerSlam Oh, come on, man. I was supposed to get this in the fifth round, and you guys weren't even supposed to like it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love this match. I think it's, yes. I think it's, so, I think it's so good. Warrior and Rude, I mean, man, like, you see, you see Warrior during that time. He doesn't have a lot of performances like this, but Rude, yeah, Rude's fantastic. Warrior is, is, is able to hang with him. It's constructed so well. It's a match that's very unlike any match Warrior had had during that period of time, which is why it kind of stands out, kind of a sore thumb if you're watching the chronology of Warrior. But, um, you yeah, know, this, this, is, this is far superior to WrestleMania V. This is a tremendous match. Uh, you know, again, red-hot crowd. The crowd's just going ballistic near the end. And Warrior wins. Everybody's happy. Piper, Piper's back at the end. And, uh, and him and Rue go off into... into a little bit of rivalry. So I, I think this is a tremendous match. I was going to save this for round five, but I didn't see it making it. So uh, I'm picking it now. Near falls. Mm. You get a lot of them in this match, and you didn't really yes. see that in 1989. Matches were not constructed that way in the World Wrestling Federation. This match has it. This match also has one of the great announcer exchanges in the history of the promotion. <laughs> this one's even better than the J.R. Paul Heyman one I mentioned earlier, where at the start of the match, Warrior hits... Rude. I can't remember if it's with the belt or with the chair outside the ring. It's the belt. It's the belt. Okay, it's the belt. Okay. (laughs) And Ventura goes crazy screaming, this match is over. It should be disqualification. Rick Rude retains. And Tony Schiavone, bless his soul, he just tries to make the passing remark, oh, well, Jesse, that's outside the ring. And Jesse just jumps all (laughs) over him and goes, oh, outside the ring? Oh, well, so you're saying it's okay if Rick Rude pulls out a gun and shoots the warrior if it's outside the ring? (laughs) And Shivani just gets so deathly quiet. And he's like, well, now wait a minute, Jesse, I I don't mean that. So (laughs) it's awesome. That always makes me laugh. And this is a really, really good match. It was easily the Warriors' best up until that time. It's probably his second best ever, trailing only, of course, the Savage match at WrestleMania. And... 
When it's over, this is the key because it's what they were going for. It's pretty clear that Vince should have been eyeing Warrior as the heir apparent to Hogan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know it didn't work out, but if you're watching it in real time or, you know, trying to put on 1989 eyes when you're watching now, you can see why he did that. Because Warrior was really over. This was the match when I was a kid that really got me to understand the psychology of a babyface getting revenge. More than any match I had seen up until this point in my life. It was, you know, the Warrior was wronged at WrestleMania. Everyone wants to see him get the Intercontinental title back. And he does. And it it worked perfectly. It was great storytelling. I think I have my match to watch while I'm mixing this podcast because I haven't I haven't watched this one in at least 20 years, if not longer. So I think I have to rewatch it to really fully comment. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm very interested in watching it. Justin, have you watched this one in recent years at all? No, I was actually just about to say I'm in the same boat as you as this will be the first match I'm watching after we're done. Yeah, here. I mean I've seen it, but it's been so long that uh, a little surprised by the pick. But uh, maybe I won't be here in about the next hour or so. Okay. There's a very disturbing trend going on in this draft, and I don't like it at all. It's <laughs> the three of you are just blatantly shying away <laughs> from anything that is remotely recent in the in this promotion, and I'm as critical as anybody of you know the last ten years of this promotion. But I'm looking at where I'm at right now. All the value is recent matches. And I've got the two already from, you know, 20, it's funny to call 2013 recent because it was seven years ago, but I think, you know, so little changes at the company now that, you know, we still think of SummerSlam 2013 as kind of recent, right? You wouldn't have thought of that about 94 and 2001, but here we are. So I don't want to be taking all these recent matches. I wanted to be taking older matches, but you guys gobbled up all the Brett ones early, which I figured was going to happen. Liam, you know, pulls a rabbit out of his hat there with two picks. So I'm going to pick a match that I'm not as high on as most people, but it's ranks really high at cage match. I'm just going for the youth vote here. We know how that always turns out. But uh, on Twitter, I'm just, I'm going to go with Undertaker Edge 2008 Hell in a Cell, despite the fact yeah. that I actively hate the video package before this match. <laughs> I think you mentioned that before when we brought up this match on uh, the Undertaker show. So, Okay. <laughs> You guys remember this feud, right? Almost every match was about The Undertaker going for revenge, right? Yep. Okay, well, the video package for this match inexplicably tells the storyline from Edge's character's perspective. I've never seen anything like that. It really bothered me why I didn't like the video package. I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I read on a message board. I think it was like PWO. Somebody bless their soul, didn't like the video package either, and he was able to articulate it, that it's really odd that in a match where the baby face is going for revenge, they choose right beforehand to tell the story from the side of the heel? Yeah, only for that <laughs> heel to lose. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and, you know, that was kind of the story of the Edge Undertaker program that year. I think the company might have been a little too hyper-aware that the casual fan, whatever that means maybe didn't buy Edge in that spot opposite The Undertaker. So there was this kind of meta storyline of them wanting to make sure Edge proved he belonged in that spot in addition to Undertaker's character going for revenge. Um, This match is the best that they have of 2008, I think. It's better than the WrestleMania match. 
Um, they have a couple good ones on smaller pay-per-views, but uh, this is the best one of that run. I'm a little surprised it was still available, quite frankly. I figured this would be gone. That was the next, literally the next match on my board that I have. <laughs> so I, I, I would agree with you taking it right here. I think it's high and value to be there still. Yeah, I guess it's funny that I was like bitching about like recent stuff, and again, I take a match from twelve years ago. But I, mean, I, <laughs> I just, thought you were you going know. for a different one, which is what I'm going to choose. But yeah, okay, okay. It's it, 2000. I guess it's it's just we're getting older, Kyle. You know, you're celebrating your mm-hmm. 40th birthday tomorrow. 2008 doesn't feel like it was that long ago, to be honest no. with you. So yeah, it's a nice pick. I I like it. That's going to leave me with a, a match that uh, is my first post 1995 match in this draft. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm coming up in the new millennium here, and uh, I'm going to go with SummerSlam 2015, Seth Rollins, and John Cena. I think uh, 2015 was kind of the year of Seth Rollins for me. Uh, you know, Justin and myself always talk about how we really like Rollins a lot, although in recent years, maybe not as much because of his social media uh, <laughs> comments if you just look at our last podcast that came out most of the show was based around a couple of things that seth rollins said on social media that we disagreed with but 2015 seth rollins made me damn proud to be from the state of iowa and that was his coming out year obviously winning the title at wrestlemania this match with john cena at SummerSlam is uh probably his best match of 2015 i can't say that i liked the involvement of john stewart that much in the match but other than that, I mean, it's it's John Cena at his best. I mean, we've we've talking about John Cena at SummerSlam uh, earlier in this draft, and he's awesome in this match with Rollins. And uh, I I absolutely love this match. I recall watching it and just being blown away at the time. It wasn't even the main event of the show, uh, but it was the best match of the show. So Seth Rollins, John Cena, SummerSlam 2015. You know, it's so funny, Ryan, that we just had that discussion about Seth Rollins and his comments Mm -hmm. that he gave in the interview. And this match is so emblematic of what we were complaining about in one regard. That the W, you know, Rollins was in the interview, like, hyping how WWE likes moments, right? That he touted that the eye for an eye match was picked up by TMZ. Well, what were they ultimately going for in this match with that Jon Stewart finish? Is to get picked up, you know, by these, you know, non-wrestling you know, news organizations. And it, it did work a little bit, but ultimately it meant nothing. Yeah. So th- this match is actually emblematic of everything we just complained about on that last show. <laughs> but it is a hell of a match. It is. It is. Yeah. Yes. And again, like I said, that, that year just really felt like the year of Rollins. And I remember when he got that knee injury that fall, I was like really bummed out about it because it was such a coming out year for him. And uh, yeah, really like this one a lot. So I feel good about getting this in round four. It- it seems like at the time it was kind of shocking that he won that match too. I mean, granted Cena had lost his previous two SummerSlam matches, but it still felt like a really big deal for Rollins to come out of that match with both belts. Yeah. Um, and then got to give props to uh, white tights. Seth Rollins looks great. And as you guys know, I am not a professional when it comes to this podcasting gig. And I am always normally have uh, some wrestling going on on my TV while we're recording and I have Rollins Cena on right now. <laughs> oh. Nice. I love the white tights, too. I, that's one of the things I remember about the match, too. Also, who could forget, uh, I think it was on Raw a couple of weeks before it, when they had the U.S. title match and Rollins broke Cena's nose. You know, that was kind of the start of Seth had a, a few incidents where he hurt his opponent. And that was just such a brutal, <laughs> brutal that's injury. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that led into this match, too. 
So pretty memorable. Dave's a little generous at four and a half stars for this, though, I think. Uh, Dave Meltzer, that is. Kyle Kyle had an awesome uh, soliloquy previously about the... uh, nostalgia bias that's going to happen in any kind of draft like this and this is you know that this i think a lot of people if they did this draft at home would skew older far more than they'd skew recent and part of the reason is that because that was kind of a lot of people's embryotic time in wrestling and they see things that are done that were done well when things happen in the modern day it's very easy to compare and it's like seth rollins and cena bell to bell is a is a hell of a match but it's like if Warrior and Rude had Johnny Carson do a run-in and kick Warrior in the bollocks because he thinks that Rick Rude's a better Intercontinental Champion. Like, what the fuck is John Stewart doing? Like, I understand oh, what they're they, trying to do, but what the fuck? That is, like, was the best. God bless the WWE for coming up with that storyline that John Stewart was upset that John Cena was going to pass Ric Flair's yeah. uh, number of world title runs. I mean, God bless whoever thought of that, but come on. No one bought <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> it's like, and it, it absolutely like just puts it in a little nice little cardboard box that you just store in your attic because it's like this match, again, it is a good match. And in some ways, it's probably, yeah, you know, maybe it's better than some of the matches we've picked in some ways, but I, it, no one's going to think of it that way. So this is a great pick in terms of a match that people aren't going to remember that well. But I think a lot of the reason is, like you say, it was like a real David Arquette philosophy. It's like, oh, well, it will get attention. Well, great. Then what? Nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I think, honestly, I think one of the things people most remember about this match is Rollins' ring gear. <laughs> to be honest the, the all-white <laughs> ring gear like that was really we talked about wrestling figures earlier i remember the, the all-white ring gear seth rollins figure was really hot when it came out <laughs> but it, it's it's a really good match bell to bell like i said it's yeah historically speaking it's not like super important but i think i think it's pretty good value in round four so what do, what do you got justin to close out the round all right well i got my last two picks here uh and to finish off this round I'm going to go ahead and cap off John Cena's quadrilogy. I don't know how the hell you say that. (laughs) And I'm going to pick uh, the greatest quote unquote squash match of all time. And that's uh, Lesnar Cena at 2014. Uh, Another one, you know, he he lost all four of those, you know, 2013 to 2017 matches. Uh, And this was just, I don't know. This was just incredible to watch in the moment. Lesnar just, beating the crap out of him for better and worse because it, you know it this along with wrestlemania 31 kind of uh ruined lesnar's in-ring talent for a while where basically he just did suplexes mm-hmm. i like it i like the pick it's funny because 2014 is when they started booking brock lesnar correctly <laughs> after not doing that basically his first year in the company he loses the first match which was dumb I don't want to hear any excuses. That's a, That was a dumb idea. Then he has that way too long view with Triple H. And then he gets, you know, he has the match with Punk, which is, you know, I thought was the best SummerSlam match. Gets on track there and then ends the streak. And then here, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God. They're, they're doing it right, finally. Now, there's a question of, you know, did that first year kind of hurt a little bit? You know, if only they had booked him this way right off the rip. But, uh, yeah, it was incredible to watch in the moment. Yeah. You know what's interesting about this? I, 
this was supposed to happen to Daniel Bryan. This was supposed to be Bryan getting yes. destroyed by Brock. Like, Bryan's big WrestleMania 30 moment was with the idea that Brock's going to end the streak, Brock's going to treat Daniel Bryan like a piece of shit on his shoe, and then go on to WrestleMania and... The new top guy, Roman Reigns, will do what you know. He will. He will pull. He will be the uh, the babyface that those guys couldn't be. And he will. You know, there'll be the idea being there'll be so much heat on Brock that people will be dying for Roman, who people did love during that period of time, um, to be the one to beat him. But I think the fact that it ends up being Cena kind of it really <laughs> it kind of started a bit of a knock on effect that really kind of screwed Roman over because Cena didn't have the goodwill with certain fans that. Brian had and I think that this kind of started Brock on the path to being a babyface people like appreciated what Lesnar did it really didn't make yes. them mad at his character people were like oh Brock Lesnar's awesome yeah, which wasn't exactly. really the goal even though it was awesome yeah that the goal was supposed to be this big picture you know we were aware of our audience we we know that you will hold the streak dearly and you're gonna hate the fact that we're gonna end it and give it to Brock. We know that you love Daniel Bryan, and we are going to take that away from you as well, and give it to Brock. They were trying to make him this mega heel with an awareness of their audience that they frankly have no, not even a semblance of, of that today. And the fact that they had to make they had to make the switch to Cena, you know, Daniel Bryan got injured, but it completely changed the dynamic. And by January, Brock's a babyface. I mean, he's a full, he's practically a full blown babyface. You know, uh, attacking Seth and the rest of the. Uh, rest of the crew so yeah it's, it, it's kind of set things off in, in motion but i agree that when 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 brock you know hits that flurry of punches picks him up f5 pin it <laughs> it was unbelievable the people i was watching that show we just had their jaws on the floor yes absolutely all right justin closing round what do you got is uh, this uh, this the pick that you were hinting to us in the uh the text thread that was a personal favorite yeah, this is where I'm probably going to take my tank my chances of actually winning this thing because this pick is just for me. It, it's just a match I love. Um, it doesn't really have any uh, long term significance, um, but it is 2017 Ambrose and Rollins versus the Bar. There's if you go back and watch it, there's just a lot of good stuff in this in the match. For the for one, the Bar freaking rules. One of the most underrated tag teams of all time. Uh, I liked, I thought the story going in was a lot of fun with Rollins and Ambrose trying to get their act together. Uh, and then in the match, you have, you know, just some nice callbacks to wrestling. You have the bar doing the doomsday device, uh, Ambrose and Rollins doing a sling blade version of the heart attack. Uh, and frankly, it also had the greatest moment in the entire history of professional wrestler, and that's Cesaro tearing up that goddamn beach ball <laughs> yes oh that my was God. so great i forgot yes. that that was this match. <laughs> nice so a bit of a homer pick but i love it <laughs> i can't say that i remember much outside of the beach ball thing and this one is not on my board obviously but uh hey if it's important it. to you this is a personal draft so there you go Anyone else have any thoughts on this one? The silence is deafening. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, you know what I was doing? I was trying to desperately, I feel like, I'm trying to place this match like in my mind. Like, what the hell was going on with these guys at the time? Like, because the year afterwards, they did a match where Ambrose had come back to be in Rollins' corner against Dolph. And so for some reason, I'd, I'd kind of completely mixed those two years up where this was, where they had just done the, uh, the Super Friends fist pose on Raw the week before or something like that. And uh, and it was great. And it was huge that they finally were friends again. And then 
yeah, I, I, I remember the match being a lot of fun, but it's, it's during a very confusing period, unfortunately. So I do have the match on my board. I mentioned that I have a top 50 SummerSlam matches yes. list <laughs> handy. Uh, this was number 31, I'll say. Uh, I noted that it was, yeah, Justin hit all the key points. So very good work. Rollins and Ambrose first time tagging since getting back together. My favorite spot of the match was Cesaro running out in the crowd to destroy the beach ball. I also made a very controversial remark. The bar has a better body of work than the British Bulldogs. So <laughs> please chat among yourselves. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think they do just because of the, the time frame and how they were allowed to work. Yeah. I mean, I could see the argument. It's just, it's, it's that thing of the importance that the company placed on the tag team titles, relatively yes. speaking, during those two periods. People never, and again, people have, you know, the memories of, well, you know, the Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation, but the Barb were far more, I mean, they were very flexible. They had great matches with every team they faced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has left me in a uh, tough position on my last There pick. are some incredible matches left on the board that I didn't think there really are. Yeah. W- w- would be left at this point. there's two that I guaranteed would go in the draft left, and I'm going to get one of them. I got like three picks. Actually, there's three. Yeah, Yeah, there's three. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I think I'll go with... I think I'll just go with the... This one is kind of historically significant. I'll go with uh, Orton and Benoit SummerSlam 2004. Uh it's ah. you know obviously it's it's Randy Orton's first world championship victory. He he became the youngest world champion in WWE history with the victory ended Benoit's uh, only world title run here. It's not one you'll see replayed much for obvious reasons, but hell of a match. Uh you know you get the handshaking moment between Benoit and Orton at the end. I think in 04 everyone and maybe going back to like Oh three, we were kind of looking at Orton as the uh, the upcoming star. Like he he had the the genetics, he had the family line history. We all knew he was going to be a big star eventually. And uh, this also like started that split with Evolution and Orton's ill advised face run that didn't work out as planned. But uh, I mean, it was I remember at the time really really liking the match. I was a big Chris Benoit fan, which you know kind of sucks to say these days, but. I was also big on Randy Orton early in his career. And and when you look at Randy Orton's body of work at SummerSlam over the years, I just put out an article on comicbook.com about this. Uh, You know, he's kind of in the running for Mr. SummerSlam as well. He's had a lot of good matches at SummerSlam. He had a really good one with with John Cena. He had a really good one with Christian, which I almost considered taking here as well at 2011. Yeah. That's an awesome match. And honestly, the Christian match might be better between the ropes in this one slightly i actually might prefer that one just a little bit but i think this one historically is more more important uh because it's his first title victory so for that i'm going yeah SummerSlam 04 orton and benoit i like the christian match better than the benoit match too i also like the orton match with john cena 2007 better than this benoit yeah, one i think all, it's that. i think it's because of something you hinted at ryan this match is associated with that hideous Randy Orton face turn that mm-hmm. made no sense. Yeah. I know some people don't like Jim Cornette, don't want to hear anything he says in the year 2020, but I think it was the Evolution documentary. I can't remember if it was that was part of the Ruthless Aggression series. Both him and Brian Gewertz hit on this point that was very well taken. Who the hell wanted to cheer for Randy Orton as a babyface in 2004, given the way he had acted all year? And the way that turn was executed where he was just dumped from the heel group 
you know, you're not going to be sympathetic towards someone like that. Yeah, Orton, I went to a Raw, I want to say a month or two after this in Des Moines, and Orton was really getting the big baby face push, like he was the last guy out there before the crowd went home, and the extended, you know, uh, music playing, posing for the fans and all that, and it wasn't like the typical response that you would get from an audience as Raw closed out, you know, like, he was trying his hardest, staying out there, going up to all the fans, posing in all the corners and stuff, but it just didn't have the feeling of, like, the top baby face in the promotion, so, yeah, that... That part really failed, but I felt like in the moment at 04, it just felt like a really big deal. And just with his age, too, and, you know, knowing what Orton has become over the years, you know, one of the longest tenured stars there at this point in time. He's this year in the marquee match at SummerSlam. Uh, when you look at his SummerSlam matches, this is a uh, it, it's an important one for his career. No doubt about it. Yeah, you I know, think, it's important. Oh, go ahead, Kyle. Oh, I was just going to make one quick funny anecdote real quick. Sorry about that. Um, it's funny that we're talking about Orton and his moments uh, because I had a buddy over last night. Social distance party outside, for the record, everybody. Keep, let's keep take note of that. Um, he's like, what's the main event of SummerSlam? And I was like, oh, it's going to be Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. And his reaction was a very violent, Randy Orton still? <laughs> <laughs> Orton's been doing great work, though. <laughs> I, he has, but, like, it's funny that, like, you know, like, if you're somebody who's come in and out of the project for the last 15 years, you're probably astounded that a guy who main evented WrestleMania or SummerSlam 2004 could be main eventing SummerSlam 2020. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, uh, Go ahead, Liam. Th- this match is... This match is tainted for a lot of reasons. I um, I not only is it the fact that Orton's in that tough spot as a babyface, uh, uh, you know, he's about to be in that tough spot as a babyface that nobody likes. The dynamic of this match is really weird because it always feels to me like the crowd he is not there. And I don't know if it's because people kind of felt they knew Orton was winning, but it and. I gotta, you know, it's in it's in Canada. You think they'd be behind Benoit all the way, but they really aren't. Um. So there's some, I mean, there's some great spots in this match that you know you look at now and you're like, oish, you know, Benoit does the diving headbutt and Orton just puts his feet up into his face, and then uh, there's the spot where Benoit does a tope and just goes all the way and hits the barricade head first. That's 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 not really fun viewing, but um, it's it's a good match. But I always feel like if they had their way, this. I feel like this. They could have done this exact same scenario, just far, far better if they weren't. If they didn't have that thing in mind where they were trying to turn Orton babyface, and that does kind of taint this match, unfortunately. But I see the uh, the historical significance for sure. <laughs> well, now that you, you guys have maybe doubt this pick, I'm going to redo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just going to redo it, re-edit a new pick in there. I'll tell, I'll tell you at the end. The, I'll tell you guys after this round is over the the other match that I was thinking about okay. picking. I'll save that though. Okay, so piggybacking off what Liam just said. An issue with how this match has worked is, so they're turning Orton the next night. And by the way, him and Benoit, I think the match the next night is actually better than this, too, for the record on Raw. But yeah. Orton takes most of the match on top. Like, So if they're trying to build potential sympathy for him down the line as a babyface, having him in control and Benoit in the sympathetic role was just a miscalculation. That, that's poor, actually just flat-out poor agenting, quite frankly. in control the whole time yeah yeah everything about this is backwards i'm I'm gonna stick with it (laughs) but (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't feel as confident now but we'll see how it plays on social media (laughs) all right kyle go ahead 
So, wow, I, I just can't believe some of these matches that are left. Um, I, I'm kind of confused as to what to go with. I thought these would have been gone by last round. Again, you guys are kind of going old school on me, leaving these, you know, more recent quote-unquote matches just there that I think are good value. And I'm going to go with the four-way Hoss match from 2017. Lesnar, Reigns, Joe, and Strowman. I thought this was Braun Strowman's coming out party. Uh, Certainly Sunday night uh, might be his going away party for all we know. But, you know, when he throws the announcer chair... Uh, that's great. Um, when he just manhandles Lesnar, that's great. Um, Lesnar pinning Reigns, I thought was kind of a stupid decision, <laughs> but um, given what they wanted to do with Reigns. But um, in terms of four ways, this is really, really good, and I'm going to go with it as my last pick. Yeah, I I had uh, texted you guys earlier that I, w- I rewatched a match for the first time since its broadcast last night, and it jumped like five spots on my board. This was that match. Incredibly fun really well executed uh, for, you know, having four guys in there. This one is actually higher on my board than the one that I just picked, but I just felt like the uh, the Orton-Benoit match was more significant in the end game. But yeah, as far as like in-ring work goes, this one is superior for sure. Yeah, this is the uh, the modern match that I was eyeing up uh, this round, so I'm quite disappointed that... Uh, I guess this is the feeling that Kyle had with uh, me taking Wari Rude maybe, but uh, no, this, this is a great... Great chaos, you know, four horses. The, a genuine feeling that anybody could win, which made it really unique and really interesting. Because they did, they would, you know, they did the uh, the great segment in the ring where they had, you know, Reigns and yeah. You know, this was the one that had the, the build where Lesnar just said to Roman Reigns, "You don't deserve shit, buddy," <laughs> when he said he felt he deserved a title match. And then Joe comes out and gets in his face, and it's just it's a great dynamic going in. It was executed very well. Puzzling finish, but that kind of goes without saying. Um, and yeah, I, I, this was the match that I wanted. So that's a great call. The, I guess the only weird thing about this match is how heavily Lesnar was booked as a baby face in it with him, them having the moment where going through the tables multiple times, having the table thrown on top of him and having him carted out only to come back later. It's kind of odd. Yeah. It, it was, it was. All right, Liam, round it out. Last pick of the draft. You got a lot of options in All front right. of you. What do you got? I uh, again, it's it's uh, it, it speaks to the depth of SummerSlam history that we are at this point, and there are matches that are not going to get picked out of twenty, and uh, that's kind of amazing when you look at some of the matches that are left. I'm, I'm I am flawed, um, but again, it just speaks to the strength of the show. So I think Warrior Honky Tonk, do it, you coward. I think that oi. This is this is getting hard. I think that I'm not sure if I'm going to pick them or again the the more recent ones. Orton and Christian was on my radar, but I kind of hold not shouldn't hold it against it. But the the match I had it over the limit, I think, is better. So yes, I don't necessarily want to pick that. Yeah, uh, Cena and Orton 07 is one that I definitely am eyeing up here. Uh, I actually didn't think that Lesnar and Taker from 2015 was bad either. Um, very unique kind of dynamic there after after the streak ended. Uh, I, you know what? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to let Kyle down, and I am going to go with an older one again. Um, personal pick, maybe. Not so much. Uh, I'm going with the Heart Foundation Demolition mm. 2 out of 3 falls at SummerSlam 1990. Nice. I, I, I love this match. I think this is... Maybe you guys will disagree. I feel like me and Kyle, just to throw a plug, did a series on, on 1990 on my podcast, and we... 
basically just kind of broke down everything that was going on in this year. It's a, it's a very fascinating year. And one of the things that kind of stood out to me is that this feels very much to me, as someone who wasn't watching at the time, but looking back in retrospect, it's the first time Bret Hart kind of made the fans fall in love with him on pay-per-view. Because I think this is, this is, this is Bret's match. And if, if people want to hold points against it for the Axe and Smash are twins uh, fiasco, <laughs> then, then, then so that's idiots. absolutely... That's that's absolutely valid, and I'll go with you. I'll go with you all the way on that. That's that's preposterous. But this, it, 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 folks, if you want to know how good this match is, this is two out of three falls. Go and listen to the reaction that a near fall in the first fall gets from Bret Hart on a Russian leg sweep. They explode, and it's just just due to how good Bret is. The match is Bret's. Brett's the one that's you know in there most of the way. He gets pinned in the first fall. He comes close to, to pinning them in the second fall, but doesn't because they take a cheap DQ. He's getting beaten up, double teamed. He finally gets the pin. He's lying there while Anvil's over him. This is it, that and Survivor Series right afterwards, where him and DBRC do the great back and forth. You, I, I feel like you tangibly feel a genuine affinity for Bret Hart growing when you see that match and the crowd is just absolutely nuts so that's going to round it out for me there were, there were matches that might be better but I love that match so much Bret Hart Jimmy Anvil Neidhart Axe Smash and Crush SummerSlam 19 Liam's draft is just an incredible flex uh, Kyle prepare to be jealous the most recent match he drafted is from 2002 <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like I, I the three you guys it just seemed like I'm surprised how to me just like how i had it on my board there were matches that i thought were going to fall to me that were older that were later that were just coming off the board and yeah i don't know it was it was kind of weird i picked my board or my draft board is just so much more recent than i thought it would be um a match that no one even mentioned surprised about that that i thought for sure was going to get picked was cm punk jeff hardy yes that that's the one that i was thinking about picking mine. between that and the uh, orton benoit that was the one i was going to mention that was that was the one i was considering in that spot yeah. That's a weak summer slam, but that was a good summer for SmackDown. Yeah. And Hardy was a great babyface. Punk was a great heel at that point. Uh, it's a real shame that Punk didn't get more um, time to run as the champion because he basically just loses it, what, two months later to The Undertaker? Mm. Yeah, Undertaker comes out at the end of that match. Yeah, I, I watched that one yesterday and in pre- in preparation for this and i feel like 2009 wwe is one of those periods where i was watching but not like super closely because i didn't really remember this match at all and i went back and watched it and really really liked it and was definitely considering that with my last pick that that was the one i was gonna that i was gonna mention after the draft was over is was in the running there for my fifth pick but uh yeah it's it's great kurt angle brock lesnar from 2003 i'm not as high on that match as other people um, I only had it like number 25, so to be honest, uh, I'm pleasantly surprised it actually wasn't picked. That was another deal um, where just bad booking, I think, made it hard for the guys to overcome. You know, neither of those guys were very good at being a babyface in 2003, it seemed. And they kept flipping. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was uh, I was considering rounding this out with Brett and Taker at SummerSlam '97 just for the greatness of the finish. That was on my list, but I feel I felt like I got two Brett matches, so I couldn't pick a third one. Same thing with the demolition match. That I have a big board of 25 matches, and I had that one at 22. So I was getting down to where that was in the running, but it was like I can't take a third Bret Hart match. So, but uh, yeah, another one uh, that could have been in the running here was Samoa Joe and AJ Styles from. 
2018. That's a good one. I had that one on my big board as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's I'm a strong event at, overall. Yeah. I'm looking at some notes, and here's a take that did not age well from two years ago. So Daniel Bryan and The Miz, remember we talked about this match, and I would not stop talking about how in terms of being the first match in a what we all purported to be a series of matches, it was actually smarter worked than Gargano Ciampa. Mm. People can go into the archives and listen to that, that, you know, Gargano and Ciampa left it all on the line in New Orleans and basically worked like a blow-off match and then inexplicably kept wrestling throughout the year to diminishing returns. (laughs) Well, Brian and Miz had what I thought was the great first chapter of a series at SummerSlam 2018. They then proceeded not to really have any more chapters. <laughs> yes. So, like, that's the honest thing. Like, didn't they do a match in Saudi Arabia that Brian won in, like, 10 seconds or something with a small package? Sounds and that's how they yeah. blew the feud off. And it was, like, it's funny because they just did that as a timeline on the WWE Network the week before Brett Owen. And I have not watched that one yet, but... Man, you look at how much heat they had for that storyline when Brian returned. They blew that. Yeah. That was like the easiest feud to book, and they screwed it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, inserting big casts into the situation probably wasn't, you know, the move I would do. <laughs> uh well, we will have the results of this draft out on social media so the listeners can vote. I'll have a poll up on our Twitter page as well as an accompanying graphic. We'll put up on Instagram as well with all the draft picks. You can see how it shook out all on one nice little graphic and, and give us your vote. And we will be able to announce the winner on Thursday's show. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I mean, SummerSlam overall, as we've been saying, is, is a very strong event over the years. We got the next edition of the show next weekend. Uh, Liam, before we uh, close it out here, what do you got going on as far as, you know, we talked about you got the Brian Pillman book a couple of years ago that was award-winning. Are you working on any projects you can tell us about or just are you working on any projects in general right now? Uh, working on a fiction book, not necessarily wrestling related. So I've kind of got my uh, my eye on, on that at the minute. So I've, I've actually kind of completely taking a back step from the wrestling side of things. I, uh, I I am not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. It's very nice. Uh, it's very quiet, and I get to do, do my own thing. So, uh, like, usually you can just tell people, you know, where can they find you? The answer is you can't. So, <laughs> there you go. Squared Circle Gazette Radio. We put our pockets every now and then uh, when I have the time. So, uh, we will... Uh, We'll endeavor to get this one out on there because I know that we're going to aim to get this podcast on the on that feed as well. Sweet. Sounds good. Well, hey, this was a lot of fun. We really appreciate you coming on for your third appearance on the show. And, you know, altogether, we really appreciate your support over the years on this show. We know you've been one of our longtime listeners and we, we're always chatting back and forth. And uh, it's great to get you back on. Hopefully it won't be a year before we get you on a fourth time. Absolutely not. But guys, keep doing what you're doing because I love the show. Thank you very much. And, and Kyle and Justin. Feel solid about your picks tonight? No. <laughs> Kyle was very <laughs> who, confident who going into won? this draft. Who do we think won? I'd have to look at everyone. I, you know, I don't know. I like. I felt like I got a lot of value, but at the same time, like I don't love like I don't love Undertaker Edge as much as like some other people do. Cagematch.com says I won for the record. Oh, <laughs> I got three of their top five matches. Uh. I could see Kyle winning. I could see it. I think Justin was in a good spot, but I think his last pick is going to throw some people off. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, but people are dumb. I think I'll have the Bret Hart marks <laughs> in my corner. So 
<laughs> when they see yours is strong, man. When they see Brett and Bulldog and Brett and Perfect on mine, I think that'll draw in some votes. Yeah, you got a lot of the historically uh, strong picks. Kyle's got a really good. Kyle getting both the 2013 matches is kind of heartbreaking to me because I really wanted one of them. Yeah, at least Liam's one of not them. getting any of the millennial vote. <laughs> <laughs> Liam has won the plus 49 uh, age group demographic for this. Yeah, this I was week. in the coveted 50 plus. It, it goes to Liam. <laughs> He's got the NXT viewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, by the way, it was funny. I know Justin had floated the idea of doing a takeover draft once and I, I just wanted to let him know I did write a joke for that show that didn't happen I wanted to let everyone know that since the uh, NXT booking committee of the last two years flunked a drug test that all of those matches were off my board had we done that <laughs> <laughs> oh nice alright guys well hey let us know what you thought of the draft again you'll vote in the poll but also if you want to send in longer form reactions that we can read on the air you can reach us at topropenation at gmail.com Instagram and Twitter at Top Rope Nation. You can find me at Ryan Droste. That's D-R-O-S-T-E. You can find Justin at, at Justin Joint and Kyle at TRP Kyle. And we will be back on Thursday morning with episode 167 of Top Rope Nation. Thanks again to Liam O'Rourke for joining us. We'll get him back on the program very soon. And this will not be the last Top Rope Nation draft. You can look forward to more of these in the future. With that said... Have a good week. See you next time. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action and there's no better place to start wagering than our partners bet online check out all the odds futures and props to bet on all available 24 7 and with the return of sports bet online sat down with former pro players eddie george harold reynolds and seven-time nba champ robert ory see what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling fandemic Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.